It's a great joy to introduce our guest preacher this morning. Dan Reeves serves on the pastoral staff at Bethany Church in West Orange and has been a longtime pastor, a friend of mine from this area, and also serves as an adjunct professor at Pillar College. And before Dan started serving at Bethany Church, he and his wife Kimberly, who's also here this morning, attended Redeemer Montclair. And uh, Dan worked uh, in our student ministry, and Kimberly served on the hospitality team. So we're really grateful for the Reeves, and uh, so great to have Dan back to preach to us. Welcome, Dan. It's great to have you back. Good morning, church. Uh, Kimberly, Barb wants you back, uh, taking care of hospitality again today. Um, it is so good to be back at Redeemer. Um, we are in a very different culture in the church we're at, and uh, we just love the music and worship this morning. You guys did a great job wherever you are. But our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of 1 Timothy, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 21, and that's where we'll get to our message from today. I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible because I'm stuck in that version. I can't get out. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 21 says, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which he will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Instruct those who are rich in the present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we live in a very different world, not the world of our grandparents and even our parents. We live in a world that is foreign to us and we live in a culture that we don't particularly understand. So God, we pray that this text would speak to us as foreigners, as aliens, in this world. We pray, God, that your word would get to our heads and your spirit would get to our hearts 
so that we can move in this world as men and women of God. This we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I don't know how many of you have ever had to live or hang out in a different culture. I suspect many of you have. I suspect you have enough, uh, uh, there are enough immigrants in the congregation that, uh, that Montclair is a different culture. It, it certainly is to us. We live in, uh, in, uh, uh, in Newark, New Jersey, but we serve in West Orange. And West Orange is known as up the hill, and down the hill. And up the hill, you know, there's a little bit of wealth up there and a lot of educated people and, and people whose families have been here for a long time. But at the bottom of the hill where, uh, where we uh, serve in, in a church, uh, there are lots of immigrants and there are lots of, uh, there's a lot less uh, resources and, and maybe an under-resourced community. And so we have to straddle those those uh, different cultures all the time. What happens when you're in a different culture is known as culture shock. I'm sure that you've experienced that sometime in your life. Um, you know, I, Kimberly and I were talking about this last night, and we thought the best example of culture shock is not knowing what to do about kisses. And, you know, when you see somebody and you greet them and you say, oh, hello, is it one kiss on the cheek? Is it on both cheeks, or is it, or, or, or is it, whoa, what's this kissing all about? Hey, hey we don't do that here. Um, in, in Minnesota, I was the pastor of a Native American congregation, and I grew up with a bunch of Norwegians, and, and when you shook a hand, it was like, oh, you, you grab that hand, and, and you arm wrestle for a few minutes. And, uh, but with Native Americans, I, I found out quickly that that I was offending everybody at the door when I was greeting them as they were leaving. And finally, this guy, Andy Kilscrow, comes up to me and he says, why do you think I'm, you're more important to me? You're better than me. I said, what? And I said, what are you talking about? He says, well, the way you control me. I said, what? I, I, I hardly even know you. And, and he said, well, you know, when you shake my hand, you control me. And, you know, I, I shook a hand with him, you know, and, and, a, and he said, I said, how do you shake a hand? He says, here, and he just gives me this dead fish. And he says, you know, you don't have to always control the pump. Let me control the pump. Okay, go ahead. But, you know, and, and I'm thinking, this was awkward. Have you ever had those awkward moments and when you're in a culture that, that's not your own? When you eat food and, and you think, why? You know, I, I was in the Philippines. I was uh, in Cebu, and I was at a wedding, and and, and they, they had a puppy dog on the menu. And, 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 and I, I said, what? You know, what, you're going to eat the, what? And you want me to eat the dog? And I did. You know. uh, it was awkward. It was strange. And when you don't know the language anymore, and you don't share the same values, and, and uh, you know, uh, it gets really awkward. And you get disoriented. And, and it causes chaos, and, and, and you get defensive. 
at least the Brooklyn boy in me gets defensive. And, and you get frustrated, and you get embarrassed, and you want to fit in so badly, but you can't. You know, I, I don't know what beat I'm supposed to clap on here. You know, come on. Is it, is it, or is it, you know, and, and, and our church has African Americans, and, and they clap on some beat, and, and then we have the Caribbeans, and they, they, they do a lot of clapping. I don't, it's really hard. You know, it's hard to be in, in those cultures. Well, this might explain why it's really, really hard to be a Christian in this generation. It's really hard because our grandparents and, and maybe even our parents, maybe even I, yeah, I'm an old guy, you know, uh, maybe we lived in a, a culture that was much more accepting of Christianity. Uh, back in, in 1960, did you know that almost 70% of Americans said they go to church? 70% said they go to church. Do you know that's down to around 39% in America? It, it's hard because our culture is changing. Uh, and. I would argue that we went from being a kind of a, a Christian-friendly culture to a post-Christian culture, and I would say that we live in a Babylonian culture. We're, we're now living in a culture that's antagonistic to our values, what we believe and what we, 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 we hold dear and, and how we do things. This is a secular culture that's gone anti-God and, and has removed any absolutes of morals. Well, you say that's wrong. Who are you? And, and, and there's this arrogance. Uh, Dr. Scott McKnight wrote a, a really great little book called, not a little, a book called uh, Revelation for the Rest of Us. And, uh, and he argues that, that when we live in Babylon, it's not like in the Old Testament where we were supposed to seek the shalom of the city where God has sent us in exile, uh, we're now supposed to resist because Babylon has four characteristics. He said, um, there's arrogance. Uh, Babylonians were just arrogant. Um, <laughs> they would say to themselves, and Isaiah 47, 8 quotes it, I am and there is no one else. Now, that's true about the average Brooklyn person, but, but we're not in Brooklyn anymore. That was a joke. <laughs> wow. Okay. See, it's the culture. You know, just <laughs> that, that would have flown in the bottom of the hill, but not the top of the hill. Um, but there's this arrogance of, 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 of I am the most important person. And, and it's not just political arrogance, it's, it's business people and their arrogance, both big businesses and small businesses, educators and their arrogance. I know the truth. I know it all. I'm speaking because my wife is an educator, but, uh, but, but it's not arrogant. But, but there's arrogance in, in education. There, there's arrogance in the family with fathers who just think that they can rule with an iron fist and arrogance. There are bullies on our campus. There are pastors and boards that are abusive to the congregants because there's arrogance. We know best. He also says that there's exploitation in Babylon. Exploitation means that 
we take advantage of using other people for our gain. And in our world, human trafficking remains as well our 21st century slavery. And immigrants are treated in such a way as to be used and exploited as commodity. And then there's power in Babylon. But Babylon's power is the military strength that they say they have. Uh, you know, we, we can do things by force and by violence. And then finally, there's oppression. And I think that the modern day slavery really is the racism that exists in our country still. That's where we live. We live in biblical Babylon. That's what I believe with all of my heart. And that's why it is so hard and so awkward for us to know how to navigate around in this world these days. And helping youth and this next generation to figure out how to navigate as a Christian in this because this is not our world. In our text this morning, in verse 11, the apostle calls Timothy a man of God. How is that for cool if you got that title? The man or woman of God. Now, it was a pretty cool title because in the Bible, only Moses, Samuel, Elijah, and David, as far as I know, were called men of God. And so isn't it cool to think about this kid, Timothy, this, this church planter in Ephesus, being called the man of God? And I think that the way to become a man of God is found right here in this little text when we live in Babylon. Because we can live in Babylon and respond by drawing, being drawn into conformity to Babylon. Or we can be tricked into believing that Babylon is right. Or we can fight and be violent ourselves and argue and, and yell at each other. Or... Or we can act like we're victims. Oh, people don't like Christians anymore. That's not fair. You know, they don't treat me nice. And if you think that I'm exaggerating, man, there are a lot of whining Christians in Babylon. Uh, or, or you can isolate yourselves and say, we're not going to live in Babylon. We're going to get our own little corner here, and we're going to forget about the idea of being witnesses in Babylon. Forget evangelism. I don't even call it evangelism. I call it gospelizing, good newsing out there. Uh, but we're not going to do that. But that's not exactly what Paul says to Timothy, who's living in Ephesus with all kinds of idols and emperor worship. He says, here is the posture you take when you're living in Babylon. I'd like you to try this out for a minute. Um, after telling... Um, Timothy, all these things, but godless actually means great gains, uh, for we have uh, brought nothing up. But those who want to get rid of, uh, I'm trying to find that. Oh, here it is. Um, uh, if anyone advocates in a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, these words of Christ, uh, uh, they're, they're not conforming with godliness. He, he talks all about this Babylonian philosophy, and then he says, but you, but you, you do these following five things, I think, will help you to be a man and woman, a boy and girl 
of God in Babylon. Here they are. There's a lot. First, there's the fleeing. Chapter verse 6, verse 11 says, But flee from things, you man of God. Flee, run. And you say, oh, you know, that, that's like cowardice. And we're Americans. We don't flee from nobody, nothing. And in Brooklyn, they say, yeah, you, come on, bring it on. You know, uh, uh, we, we don't really like fleeing. We think that, that you know, you've got to have courage. You've got to have guts, you know, uh, to, to, to be a, a Christian. And, and, and the world is telling you to do things differently. But our responsibility is not to come near sin and ask God for deliverance. It isn't always cowardice. Sometimes it's wise to run away. Ask Joseph what he thought when Potiphar's wife said, Hey, honey, come on now, baby. Come on. Come, come with me. Come, you, know, you know what I want. You know what you wanted. Come on. You know, come on, honey. Come on. You know. and, and Potiphar's wife was just, whoa. And, 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 and Joseph said, oh, no way. You know, I, I'm out of here. And he turns around and he runs. And he flees. And he leaves his robe behind. He knew he had to get out of there, not stay there and ask for God's deliverance. I, I think of, of, uh, of David, you know. Uh, Saul's in the spear-throwing mood, you know. And, 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 and he wants to throw the sword. And, and what does David do? He just sits there and becomes a target? No, he runs. He flees. He flees to caves. Sometimes we just got to flee. And it's not just that we flee from, uh, from the love of money. If you look at verse 4, uh, we're supposed to flee uh, from conceit. Uh, that's that arrogance again, that, that I am somebody. I, I, I am really important, and, and you're not that important. Uh, we're supposed to flee from, uh, uh, from ignorance. And there's a lot of that around here, isn't there? People who think they know something they don't. Uh, we're supposed to flee from envy and strife. Those things always go together. When you want something that somebody else has, it always seems to cause some kind of strife. You know, you got that promotion and I didn't. Boy, I'm not talking to you no more. You know, I'm, I'm going to get you fired. Uh, uh, you got to flee from that stuff. Uh, flee from abusive language and, and uh, evil suspicions. I call that cynicism. Flee from being a cynic. Flee from constant fighting. Flee from, 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 from arguing and, and carrying on. Flee from depraved minds, and this culture is filled with depraved minds. Flee from sick obsessions with controversial words. Baby, that's why Facebook was created. That's why we got Twitter so that we could get all involved all day long with controversial words and arguments. And I've been guilty of that myself. I, I, I just do. What are we supposed to do from those? We're supposed to run from those things. We're supposed to say, look out. I see all these things in Babylon, and I'm turning around, and I'm going to run. Not walk away, not back off. I'm going to get out of there. Uh, what's the second thing we need to do? Well, we need to flee, but we also, when we turn around to flee, we need to, to follow. But this word for follow is really for chasing. we got to chase. All right, what are we going to chase? Well, 11b tells us what we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna chase. Uh, back there. 
It says, but flee these things, you man of God, and pursue, follow, or chase righteousness, which is character. That's what you ought to chase after, character and, and godliness. That's the conduct that comes out of that character. Uh, you need to chase uh, faith, which is integrity, and, and love. And these things go together because faith and love are, are the basic essentials of our Christian faith. And, 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 uh, and, and chase after perseverance. Keep on keeping going. And, and chase after gentleness. And, you know, we in the Northeast, we're not into that gentleness thing so much, you know. Uh, we're just not. We, we, I don't know. I don't want to stereotype New Jersey, but, you know, especially us Jersey guys, you know, it's just like, oh, yeah, how you doing? Are you okay? Yeah, what'd you say? What'd you say? You know, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't want to stereotype New Jersey. You know, maybe people in Montclair are different. I, I, I can see that. But uh, the boys from Queens, man, no, no. Uh, but we, we need to, to become gentle. We need to pursue and chase after. Not just think about what's gentle, but becoming gentle. And gentleness is really a feeling. It's a feeling of meekness. It's not powerless, but it's power under great control. So we got to flee, we've got to chase after, and we've got to fight. Well, come on now. How can you do all three of those things? But that's what it says. Look at verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. And, and, and this is, you know, biblical scholars can't decide whether this is a, uh, an athletic metaphor or, or if this is a military metaphor. And it doesn't really matter because the truth of the matter is, that when we fight, what we're doing is that we are agonizing. That's where the word agony comes from. We're agonizing in our faith. We're, we're, we're defending it. Verse 20 uh, says, oh, Timothy, guard what, 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 what has been given to you. Uh, it, it's, it's a continued defense. It, it, it's what we did when we made our confession and baptism. Uh, and there are two motives given here for why we should fight and why we should, should keep on going. Uh, look at verse um, uh, 13. I charge you, this is kind of orders, in the presence of God who gives all things, gives you all things in Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Why should we fight for the faith and, 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 and even be persecuted in Babylon and, and, and correct what's not true? Because that's what you said when you were baptized and you gave your profession of faith, right? And, and you said your confession. And that's our Lord Jesus did the same thing before Pontius Pilate, before he was to go to the cross. He gave the good confession. And, and the second motivation is found in verse 14, uh, uh, that you keep the commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I really like that because it's not that I'm going to get the reward, uh, and that's why I should keep the faith and, and fight for it. It's that uh, Jesus is going to say, okay, I gave you this charge. Men, give me a report. Women, I want to hear about it. And you give this report and say, you know what? I, I, I kept the faith, Lord. I kept the faith. I, I, I fought for it. I made sure that the commitment I made in my baptism and for Timothy, maybe, even the commitment to confession I made in my ordination, I kept that. I uh, candidated a church in Brooklyn once, and um, 
there's maybe a good reason why I didn't become the pastor, but uh, no, I, I did actually. But uh, this, this church had um, this really amazing van. Uh, and in Brooklyn, you know, how do you have a really nice van? And as I was going to the church for the first time, I saw this van. I peeked in the window, spotless and clean. So I asked one of the deacons, hey, that's a really nice band. How do you keep it so, so nice? And he said, oh, we don't let the youth use it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, what do you use it for? Well, we don't use it much. Sometimes we trust the seniors, if they had the right driver, to go to some senior event. Uh, and we used to once in a while pick up a person or two on Sunday, but it was too much wear and tear on the van. Okay. So that Sunday, I preached and I said, someday... The folks at first, I won't say the church, never mind. Uh, someday, this church is going to stand before God and God's going to say, what did you do for me and my, the faith with your van? And you'll say, we kept it clean, Lord, we kept it clean. You know, that's not the report that we're supposed to give. No, the report is, God, we kept the faith and we fought the good fight of faith. Wow, we got to flee, we got to chase, we got to fight. What, what more do we do now? Come on. Uh, well, we got to worship because Paul does this. In the middle of, of, of a letter, he just breaks out in worship. Uh, I, I, I love what, what happens here. He says um, uh, uh, that you keep the commandments with, without stain or, or reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about in the proper time, he who is the blessed and holy sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. You know, uh, he breaks out in worship. And I think that's what we do in Babylon. We continue to worship. What did Daniel do uh, when, when he was in captivity? He continued to pray and worship the Lord. Why does Paul bring this in to Timothy at this point? Well, I, I think because there was that emperor culture, uh, emperor worship culture, cult, that, that said that, um, uh, that the king was almighty. And that's the one we should regard. And the truth of the matter is that uh, when you are supposed to be saying Caesar is Lord, we really should be saying who is Lord, who? Come on, you know. Come on. You, you got your catechisms down. Come on. Who is Lord? Ooh, pastor, I don't know. Maybe they don't know. I don't know. Maybe everyone should go back to catechism class. I don't know. Uh, yeah, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. So that's why worship breaks out. And, and then I think finally uh, that we uh, be faithful in guarding. Uh, look at verse 20. I'm going to skip the, the whole money thing because I think that's kind of like a PS in the letter. Uh, so uh, it's important, but I'm going to skip that little money piece. Is that all right, Pastor? I, I don't know how theologically I'm allowed to do that, but, but I'm going to jump down to verse 20. Oh, Timothy... Guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Finally, you have to guard. You have to guard that gospel message you knew, that gospel message you believed, that gospel truth that's the foundation of your faith.
what I think Paul probably was referring to was, was the, uh, the, the emperor worship uh, of his day in Rome. He was possibly considering the fact that Ephesus had some really important uh, gods or, or, or goddesses, and, uh, and they had a whole mix of them. But they also had Gnosticism. I'm not going to go into what Gnosticism is, probably because I don't know very much, but, but, but I do know it was kind of a weird mix of Christianity, mysticism, Greek philosophy, Jewish legalism. Hey, it's something for everybody. Does that sound like our culture? Something for everybody. You've got to guard the faith because there's a temptation for people to say, hey, I can mix that up with a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and I have my own religion. It's kind of cool. No, guard yourself from that. Because in the end, all the other stuff is just, it's a very technical term, gobbledygook. You know, it's just gobbledygook. So, my conclusion is this. This is a lot of work. Now, if you doubt that, this is why I don't get to ask to preach here very often. But if you're able, could you stand right now, please? If you're able, would you please stand? And I'd like you to turn around and face the door. Turn around. And I'd like to try and practice living in Babylon. Ready? Okay, I want you to go look at that door, and you're going to go, uh-oh, and now turn around. Go, uh-oh, come on. Turn around, and let's start running in place. Come on, start running. Ready? Okay. So we're fleeing. We're fleeing all this, all this Babylonian stuff, and, and, and we're chasing. Oh, wait a minute. I know. I'm chasing. I'm, I'm chasing righteousness and godliness. I get, oh, oh, I'm really getting tired, but I'm going to keep on chasing. I'm going to keep on go, going. And oh, oh wait, i got to fight. Uh, get away, get away. No, no. And, and i got to grasp and hold on to my salvation. Not because I'm going to... I didn't tell you to stop running. Uh, uh, because, because, because my salvation, I, I can start to easily doubt stuff. And so I've got to grasp onto that. And, and, and then I've got to guard as well. And then I've got to worship. And I've got to fight. You know, get away from it. It's exhausting. Sit down, take a break. Maybe you need a bottle of water. That is a lot to do. And who could do that? I can't do all of that. And, and I want to remind you that Paul is talking to Timothy. Do you remember me talking to you about Timothy once? I told you that Timothy was a young guy that still he was told by Paul, hey, flee youthful lust. He was a young kid. And, and, and he, um, you know, he, he kind of was a little timid. Over and over again, Paul said, hey, Timothy, uh, God is not the author of fear. Uh, he's so timid that when Paul writes to Corinth and says, I'm sending Timothy, hey, don't rock him too much. He, you know, he's kind of a timid guy. Don't, don't, you know, don't, don't mess with his head very, very much. Uh, he was also kind of a sickly guy. Paul says, hey, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent ailments. You know, he's kind of like a hypochondriac. Is this the guy that you're going to tell the flea? Chase, fight, grasp, God, guard, and worship? Yeah. Yeah. 
how do you do it? Because Pastor Dan, I'm telling you right now, you're telling me this is how I'm supposed to live in Babylon, and it's impossible. Well, if you turn to chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, you'll see how to do it. He says, you therefore, I love this, teach a little Greek, this is sude, but you, emphatically, but you, uh, you therefore, but you, my son, be strong. Okay, but I don't feel so good today, you know, uh, and, you know and I'm just a kid, well, you don't want to send me in there, I don't have that experience, and, and, and I'm kind of nervous about it, and hey, you be strong in the grace in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How do we live in Babylon? We don't live in Babylon by running, fleeing, and chasing, and fighting. We live in Babylon by being strong in the grace, the gift that is in Christ Jesus. He'll do the fighting with you and for you. He, he, when, when he came into your life, he brought transformation. He also brought the Holy Spirit, which gives you the power to be his witnesses. Sisters and brothers, I don't think it's going to help for you to get online and argue all the time with empty words and really get into it. Or make your own videos on TikTok. I don't think you should try and mess around in the world, as we call it, and think that God will somehow deliver you. I don't think that you should be doing anything but fighting for your faith and knowing that Jesus had to do the same thing and that someday he's going to ask us, how did you do it at all? I think that when you're living in Babylon, you don't worship the king, you worship Jesus. And you guard faithfully the truth that's been handed down to you. I don't know about you, but when I leave this place, I feel like it's a place of safety. We all have the same agreement that, that this is a, a homogeneous culture and, uh, and we all can do our, 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 our creeds and, and our catechism. And then we go out from this place and once that we step out that door, we're in Babylon. We're in a, in a world that doesn't understand us and is working against us. And Paul says to Timothy, flee from the sin and the false teaching. Fight the good fight of faith. Worship Jesus and no one else. Guard and grasp onto and hold on to your salvation. Sisters and brothers, I don't think it's easy. I, um, I felt like the Lord told me to, tell, to do this because this morning, uh, uh, because I've been sitting in Timothy for a while and, and I work with youth and, and youth have it really hard. They really do. Um, I, I, I have about uh, 45 junior hires uh, that uh, are all in public school and, and it's hard for them to be living in Babylon. But it's not any easy for you as adults. So before I close, I'd like to close by praying for you. And I'm going to ask you, I'm sorry, stand and sit, stand and sit, but would you stand one more time? And let me just pray for you. 
Lord God, may this room be filled with men and women of God in the good company of Moses and David and Timothy. May we continue to be people of God in a godless culture. May we continue to be strong in your grace that was given to us and provided through Jesus Christ. May we be not just defenders of faith, but may we continue to be gospelizers, telling people good news, that they are loved by the Savior. Father, I pray that you would give us courage, not in ourselves because we don't have it, but courage in you to continue to live that God life in a world that you have sent us to live in. And I pray, God, that you continue to do such an inexplicable thing as to give us joy in this world that we'll know it's from you. And I want to thank you in the name of the Father who loved us so much he sent the Son. I want to thank you in the name of the Son who died for us and helped us to become overcomers. And in the name of the Holy Spirit that not only comforts us, but gives us strength and power far beyond our natural ability. Amen.